This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hi there. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm pretty excellent, honestly. What beverage are you consuming? Uh, This evening, I have a Key Lime LaCroix, which I will reiterate. I know this is a controversial take, and not everyone agrees with this theologically. It is the (laughs) king of the LaCroix. Amen. Amen. I think I agree with you. Yeah. I am drinking a peach bubbly tonight. It's like a LaCroix, but a different brand. I haven't tried the peach one. Is it? Is that one good? It's pretty good. I'm enjoying it. I don't love bubbly. I'm a little, it's what I had in the house, but I'm a little wary of, I don't know, Josh, how you record with sparkling water, like makes me very burpy and being a podcaster Mm. and being burpy are not things that line up very well. Yeah, no. What about you, Emily? What are you drinking? Um, I'm also drinking a peach beverage. So that's really funny. I'm drinking one of those peach mango V8 smoothie beverages. There you go. All in on the smoothies right now, huh? Yeah, really. You can blame pregnancy for that. (laughs) I've been really craving Mm. very fruity things and also very spicy things, but not at the same time. So that's good. Yeah, But enough about me and my beverage. Um, So how I want to start this episode (laughs) (laughs) is... uh, Enough about me, but let's have an episode about me. (laughs) I Hey, don't spoil it, Steven. Oh, gosh. Sorry. Rude. That's funny. That's funny. Um, I have some questions and I I just want yes or no answers to start. Oh, um, oh this is this like is rapid fire. fire. Yes. Yeah. My first answer is yes. Wait, I didn't even ask oh. the question. No, you're right. Did you have a female Sunday school teacher? Oh, yes. No. Did you have a female administrator, secretary, receptionist, anything of that sort in your church? Yes. Oh, yeah. Did you have a female musician or music director or anything in the worship realm? Multiple. Yes. Did you have a woman pastor? No. Ish. <gasps> ish? What's ish? I've seen it. But I've that, never been a part of like a church uh, long term that has had like the quote unquote lead pastor be a woman. Okay, well, yeah. So, but I've I've seen pastors on staff. But that's different than being the lead pastor. Oh, mm-hmm. is it? No. Okay. Okay. So I guess no. According so, to your definition. So were they like an associate pastor or like a youth pastor? The yeah, I've seen youth pastors, and I've also seen um like family like family marriage pastor kind of thing. Mm, yep. Okay, so yeah, that's not the same as a lead pastor. Mm, hot take, right. okay. All right, <laughs> so, because did they preach like every Sunday? Did they oversee the rights of the church? I, yeah, I've seen, I've seen women preach before. But were they your pastor? In, I guess I don't understand the question. Like at the church you were attending, were they actually like your reverend 
Yes, but with the caveat that they were not the quote unquote lead or a senior pastor. Okay. So you never actually had a lead female pastor where they were actually like the pastor above pastors. Although the the church in Seattle that I was uh, attending pre-COVID was led by a woman rector. Okay. Episcopalian? Yes, you remembered. Of course. Um, okay, so you you all <laughs> did wonderfully in the rapid fire questions. So yes, did we? Josh Steven, parsed so much. <laughs> I don't care. I, well, okay, I do partially care. Um, but Stephen, you are absolutely correct. This episode is all about me. Just kidding. All about no. Emily. It's about women. It is about women as pastors, and I have mm-hmm. to tell you why this is now finally uh, coming about. One, I think it's the pregnancy hormones coming through, and I'm just like angry <laughs> at every little tiny thing. Uh, but also, this has been a topic that I have personally experienced even as a pastor now and before I was even starting the process to become a pastor. And I don't, it was one of our very first episodes. We had people sharing um, when we had Facebook and things of that nature, citing specific passages of the Bible as to why mm-hmm. women could not be pastors. And I remember they were screenshot and they were sent. And I just remember opening that message and I just mm. wanted to throw my phone into a fire and not even pay mind to it. And so that is where this is coming from. I just, I I don't even have really an agenda. I just want to talk about women as pastors and really women as the lead pastor of a church Um, Mm. because I think it speaks a lot to the church where we do have, yes, we can have women as like the pastoral care pastor and women as the children's ministry pastor, but When you are just the reverend, like you hold the title as the lead senior pastor, that speaks to a lot more of the culture of the church than just a woman fulfilling the role of education or family Mm. ministry or music or Sunday school or whatever the case may be. What have your experiences been with women in pastoral roles? Before we keep going, actually, as an aside, I feel like we should mention if anyone's listening, And they like very much disagree with this stance. I'm of the opinion that it's actually more important that those people listen to opposing views. Because if you're going to be opposed to something, Mm. you should know, A, what you're opposed to and the reasons why you're opposed to the points that the other side has. And B, I think you should actually hear people out. Yes. Like, I think this is partly the this. I'm sorry, this is such a long rabbit trail. But I think that that's partly the problem with apologetics is they often don't allow for a conversation and you don't, you only make your case. You never listen to the other side. There's no rebuttal. And to be honest, that's not realistic. Sure. So yeah. I just wanted to like put that out there that like we might have listeners who, and probably friends, honestly, who like very much disagree with oh, yeah. this stance. So I just wanted to put it out there that we're not trying to like push people down for having their ideas. But um, what was your question again? I'm so sorry. I what? just totally went on my own rabbit trail. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what have your experiences been with women as pastors? And it could be in any capacity. And then we can talk about lead pastors. Personally, they've been great. Like I have never had to deal with what you've had to deal with. Like someone 
trying to text me a proof text saying that I should not be in my, what I feel like is my calling. Like I've not had to deal with that. So in that sense, my experience of women pastors has been perfectly fine. Like I haven't had any issues, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I also don't feel weird about it. Like, I think that that's what gets me about this whole quote unquote argument is that like, I've never felt weird by women in leadership. In fact, like, and I know this is kind of a different issue, but like most of my bosses have been women. And I don't know if this sounds weird. Please tell me if this sounds weird. I feel like I get along better with my bosses when they're women. That totally like, makes I, sense. I like being led mm. by a woman. Like there is something different. Like you get different leadership qualities often, like different personality types. Right. And it's not to say that we are better, but like you just no, said, we, no, we, yeah. have different, we have different qualities that right. I think shine through versus a male boss. Right. Well, and to be honest, it probably says more about me and my personality than it does about anything objectively. That is right? true. And uh, I do feel like the same has been true for experiencing uh, women in leadership. Like, uh, I would consider my mom an example. Uh, she's a worship leader. Um, I learned how to, like, be a part of a, like, worship team, like, part of the band through her. Um, I've, like, been taught by women in church uh, as an adult and as a kid. And, uh, yeah, I like it. Steven, what about you? You know how last episode I talked about how... My wife and I, when we were just boyfriend, girlfriend at the time, broke up over praying in tongues. We also broke up about women pastors. Because uh, <laughs> she. <laughs> wow. I wasn't ready she, for this. She was going to a church that was a lot more charismatic and that had women on staff as like, yeah, like associate pastor. And one was specifically called worship pastor. Uh, and in a lot of administrative roles kind of like that secretary type role mm -hmm. during the day-to-day -day operations of the church. And I grew up in a church that was like, Lisa can be the secretary, but if the title pastor, like youth pastor, discipleship pastor, preaching pastor, lead pastor, like if pastor's in the name, it's going to be a dude. So when Dixie started going to that church, she was like, "How do you, what do you think of Carla being the worship pastor? And I'm like, I think it's illegitimate. I think she's not a pastor and I don't think she should be. And Dude, like, that was just, without a hesitation, that was my answer. If you have a female pastor, you don't have a pastor. I'm sorry. I, I hate it when my caricatures are always Southern. <laughs> I've definitely heard that line before. Yeah, yeah. Was this so, like sophomore, Stephen? Mm, this was freshman of college, Stephen. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> What? Yeah. You know what my problem is with that whole, like, the pastor term? What? Is it's that, squishy. Like, it's hard to define. Like, yeah, some churches define it differently. Like, for some, some churches don't even use the word pastor. No. Some churches, the, like, quote unquote, lead head of the church, shepherd type person is only called pastor. And then other churches, like, there's lots of pastors, but other churches would call them deacons. Well, mm -hmm. so, like, I feel like a lot of people who, fall into the complementarian camp, which is usually the camp that <sighs> holds that women can't be pastors, among other things, but that being the main takeaway, right? Yeah. I feel like the majority of them hold and like argue from the text that women can be deacons. But if you're like a part of a church where like the deacons are called pastors, then all of a sudden like you the arguments get really weird. Like I, yep. I agree with you, Stephen. It's totally squishy. And it's totally just like we're making up our own definitions for things anyway. 
Josh, I'm really glad you brought up scripture because actually right before we started recording, Stephen right away was like, okay, so which passages do I need to have ready to go so we can talk about this? <laughs> uh, and one of the first ones that we thought of was First Timothy, second chapter. For I do not permit a woman to speak in church. That one? Is it that one? <laughs> that was word for word, Josh. It's my favorite Bible verse. What can I say? It's kind of my life verse. Well, yeah, you have tattoos wow. of it. Multiple tattoos. We do, yeah. Oh yeah. my in Jewish and in Greek. <laughs> oh, shush. Be in sure. Jewish and in um, Greek. That's funny. A woman, yeah, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Um, that's 11 and 12 specifically. Oh, keep um, going, though, because 13 is where it gets juicy. How will you read it, Stephen? For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Wow. New King James Version. What this a... is the word of the Lord. Thank, praise be to God. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm already fired up. I'm oh, like, okay, I- okay, you say no, but I feel like this is a good example of people who are trying to take the Bible seriously. Yes. And like, it seems like it's really clear. And I mean, this happens in like new religious movements, but it also happens in like, what's not mainline, what's the word for like, like oh, um, orthodox, not orthodox. Um, um Shoot. <laughs> like regular, quote unquote, regular Christianity. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it happens in major denominations where like people read the verses, but then they like, uh, they amplify it into like a, like more of a core topic. Sure. And I don't, mm-hmm. I, I totally get how they get there that's with this. True. Yeah, that's true. I think we can read that with a tone that's very flippant and we're obviously trying to be a little satirical. Totally. But I, so Josh, I think it's good that you point out like, whoa, 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 like don't, don't, we shouldn't be guilty of exactly what you just told listeners to be careful that of is true. at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Like not listening and just like shoving it aside. I think that's a really good good thing to highlight, Josh. Thank you. So I guess one question then that I have is, and maybe it's because I've heard the other side so many times that I need to hear it maybe from a new perspective. So if you two gentlemen would enlighten me, what would your thoughts be on this if you were to hold this true? Well, so what do we know about the book of Timothy to begin with? We know it's called a pastoral epistle, right? Like it's Paul mm-hmm. mentoring a young pastor, which I think Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus, correct? Yes, correct. So this is Paul like giving Timothy advice. That provides some good ta- context even from the beginning. I think uh, moving into this passage, we're starting to have conversations about like order of service and not just like music, Eucharist, prayer, uh, you know, homily or whatever, but like keeping the gathering orderly. Oh, sure. I've heard this verse picked apart basically to say, like, because in this day and age, like, men and women, even if they're married, would sit separately Mm -hmm. in the place of worship and in the place where the teaching would happen, because they would sit separately, Paul is saying, like, if women are confused by something, they're starting to, like, yell across the aisle and disrupt the whole thing that we're trying to do. So... Women, if you're confused, like, remain silent for now, ask the question of your man, which, again, still comes down to some complementarian theologies of men being the head and, like, the authority of the family, right? So I think this is some context 
that's important to like lend some weight to the other side. Like you got to keep in mind, sure. like, you know, the room was divided and if people were confused, they might've been like, like we've all tried to give a speech right in high school when half the classroom is still talking and you're like, I'm trying to do my thing here. Can we not, you know, like <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> like we've, we've been there, right? Josh, yes, we do have. You have, what do you have to add? Well, you didn't really answer the question. Okay. Emily's question was like, if you were going to give your, I feel like this is what I heard. If you're going to give your best argument for women can't be pastors. Mm -hmm. Oh, well then. So I think some of that, well, I don't know if this passage answers that, to be honest, given the context that I know about this verse, like what I just spelled out. No, I agree. I I agree with you. It's easy to lift the phrase. Well, it does does say, it does say, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. No, it does say that. But like, I am also of the opinion that it's bad biblical scholarship to then come away with the conclusion that women cannot be pastors. To be honest, I think it's a better argument that people make when they appeal to uh, Jesus being incarnated as a man and calling male disciples and like some of the patriarchal stories. Not that everyone's always trying to make an appeal to patriarchy, but to be honest, I think it's a better argument and holds more grounding when you like appeal to Jesus and that I truly think that not everyone who holds the view that women can't be pastors are trying to be misogynistic. Some people are, um, but I do think it's, uh, I should choose my words here carefully. Mm -hmm. I do think it's possible to be of the opinion that like men and women have different like uh, callings or roles without the intention of placing one over the other. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't actually think that many people who believe women can't be pastors also believe that women are less than. Sure. Like, you'll hear, you'll hear them come back against that because, like, they get accused of that. Like, no, you're just being misogynistic or patriarchal. And they're like, no, it's different. I do think that they think it's different. But is it really different? And I'm not, like, that's what I want to know. Um, Okay. I also think it's a good argument. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not a great argument. I do think it's somewhat reasonable to conclude that in some contexts, and arguably in most contexts, it might be advantageous or better to have male pastors. Say more. Some cultures are very much patriarchally ingrained. Like uh, The West has kind of gotten away from that. You could argue a bunch of reasons why, but some cultures are definitely not on board with women being in leadership in varying capacities. Oh, for sure. Like not even just like in religious settings, like Saudi Arabia, it might not be safe to argue for women being in leadership in Saudi Arabia. Like there are so many other issues going on there besides biblical interpretation. But like in America, it's relatively safe. Regardless of your like theological views, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I can I can see someone making the argument that it's a good idea at the very yeah. least to have male pastors, and I think that that can like be solidly reasoned, honestly. I uh, but I agree that this passage in Timothy is not the best grounding for that. Right, Josh. I I really appreciate the cultural lens that you're bringing to this conversation because I think that is important. I just think of women's safety. There definitely are areas of the world where, yeah, women, you like you really need to be careful. 
and mm-hmm. to have situations where you're then seen as above or greater than you're a target like you're already a target now and you are seen as property and so mm-hmm. that i like i can't even imagine and i'm grateful that i'm not in a situation like that i do think part of me thinks that when people Focus on that, though, you're still taking away the people here in the states that are treated that way. Mm. What do you mean? Though that there are people who see women in leadership have targets on their back. And like you said, not everyone that the argument could be made that not everyone that says women can't be pastors is misogynistic. But I think even in that stance alone, that and I do I see that as being misogynistic. Oh, really? I I personally do. But I again, I'm a woman, so I'm going to have a different perspective. <laughs> mm, yeah, totally. Totally. Cuz you're already telling me you as a man are telling me what I can or can't do and trying to back it up. Like you're mansplaining uh, something to me. You know what's difficult to me about the whole can can't thing is yes, that like tell look me. at an example like the president of the Uni- United States. Like in some ways a woman cannot be president. Because a woman has not been president, right? Like, it, it's not to say there's, like, no legality, but there's obviously, like, a glass ceiling there that hasn't been broken through. And so in some ways, like, we can talk about Christianity broadly, but obviously there's these, like, localized church settings and localized communities that, like, it is also true in those communities that a woman can't be pastor. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like that, that, that situation around, like, can-can't is different than like the theological interpretations of should or like that's true is it possible like for instance paul talking about like everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial i feel like you could Mm. uh, you could make a connection there you know what i mean right like the biblical text might permit some things or not permit some things but that doesn't mean all of those things are always going to be beneficial exactly well and i guess also to bring it back to your point of can and can't why is the like what's the reason why women can't and like you said it's this glass ceiling that you know we have so many other hurdles to jump through and i i is still a part of me is still holding on to this idea that like it's still slightly misogynistic because not you too specifically but like y'all are the reason that we have the hurdles and mm-hmm. so you're you are the reason why we can't like that you are the ones placing that label like we didn't put the ceiling there we didn't want the ceiling there. Society put it there. The way women are viewed set that tone. And that in itself is misogynistic. Now, okay, let's come back if we can to the text then, because like the theological blueprint for us as like y'all putting the glass ceiling there, I like the society put it there because of a certain reading of the text, right? Like we were just reading first Timothy verse 13. That's where I continued was for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And like the theological argument is that headship and authority of men over women does come from that like order of the creation narrative of Adam coming first, Mm. which the argument is definitely spelled even harder in uh, first Corinthians 11. Do you guys mind if I read a good chunk of this? Cause there's a lot, there's a lot here that like, helps to form the theological blueprint, as it were. So starting in verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I've delivered them to you. 
But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Bear with me, I'm getting there. Um, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. I think that verse is key, by the way. Yeah. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as women came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Judge amongst yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself... Also another key phrase there. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Like, so there's a lot going into Corinthians here, but like things are coming out of this passage. Like for, for man is not from woman, but woman from man tying us to the Genesis passage of Adam being created first lacking a partner and God choosing to take that out of her. I don't know. So there's a lot here and I I really don't want to like feel like I'm derailing, but I think this really does provide a lot of like you can take the text and then you can make a lot of things out of the text that inform the way society has gotten us to this place, Emily, Mm -hmm. you know, and place Josh and I possibly on the side of complicity of being part of that because like we, I mean, we just don't have to think about it. Or you have the conversation with your girlfriend and you break over, up over it because you yeah. really don't think women can be pastors. <laughs> so in that case, I was directly contributing to the problem. <laughs> right. But does that make sense? Like, I think the trajectory really does start like start with the text and the theological blueprint taking us to where the culture and sure. society like has been set up against you in a way. Yeah. Mm. Emily, what do you think is the best argument? for women can't be pastors or the or the text Whoa. leading us to that i don't even i wow i i feel like in a way i feel like caught off guard but also like i should have been expecting <laughs> that <laughs> i on maybe this is a cop out i really don't know how to answer that and maybe it's because my entire life I've had scripture weaponized against me. And so that's just all I've heard. And so all of my life, I've been trying to fight away from that Mm. and not, I mean, it's one thing to acknowledge an argument. It's another to fall into it and to believe it. So Mm. I've definitely acknowledged that. And I, I mean, I have stories of classmates in seminary who were very vocal and spoke directly to female classmates about their role in the church. And those Mm. of us who are seeking ordination, we really need to get our priorities straight and to basically go back to the kitchen where we belong. Hmm. But Methodists like have affirmed women pastors for a while now. You would think that? You would think that? Really? Um, The first woman wasn't actually fully ordained until 1956. Okay, yeah. So relatively recent. 
Yeah. Why is it that this is a like such a contentious debate um, among Protestants? But that's do you what hear, I want to know. Do you hear much about it, like in Catholic or Orthodox circles? Like, surely there are people in those churches that have issue with it, or did they just all become Protestants or fall away from faith? That's a really good question. I know, and not even all Protestant churches have issues with it. Well, yeah, but everyone has some hot take. But everyone has some hot take, <laughs> and I yeah, I don't really know like how it stems and if it's a political thing or so i actually wrote a paper about this in college um i was taking a gender and women's studies class classic liberal arts but it was like from a sociology perspective so we like we read quite a bit of different stuff that still informs though so and for the end of the class we could write a paper about any like related issue and i wrote about the way that egalitarianism and complementarianism in american christianity affects like domestic division of labor, like how it affects Ooh. gender roles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To be honest, it was a while ago. I don't remember all of the things I wrote about. And I was actually trying to look for it earlier on my computer and I can't find it. But if I find it, um, we'll put, put it in we'll figure notes. out how to link to it. But I'm pretty sure this is where I like first thought of this idea. You know, the whole like horseshoe theory, it's usually tied to politics, but mm. I've used it as a theological example before that like the extremes on either end actually end up like becoming more similar to each other than they are to the middle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. I kind of feel that way about the women pastors. Oh, dilemma. yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm probably not going to make a great argument for this, but like I feel like the extremes on either end, what they're really trying to get at is God using us to the best of our abilities and God has created us for specific things to bring his kingdom about, bring yeah. God's kingdom about on earth. And like, we're just arguing about the function and the like, who. Mm -hmm. if both of us can be hands, but like in the end, like what we're trying to get at, I think is not, are we all falling within our gender the right way? I think that's how some people take it, mm. which I totally get um, because I think some people are really mean about it. Like, obviously they've been mean to you, Emily. Oh, and yeah. to some of your friends. But like, I think the reason why people have such hot takes about it is because um, people are caring about God's reality here on earth. And I totally can acknowledge that. I think that's a fair argument. What I want to know, for those of you who are listening, who are so against me as Reverend Reading House right now, why? Like, why, why, why can't I serve in this capacity? And like, why... Does it scare you? Is it something that's just off-putting? Like, why Why is it that my call is any less authentic than a male's call? Honestly, I think it goes back to biblical interpretation. Like, I think most people would argue from the Bible and say, like, well, like it says here, women can't speak in church. And Paul here in Corinthians is making an appeal to man somehow being head over woman in relationship just as... Christ is the head of the church. Like, I mm -hmm. think those are legitimate things to wrestle with. And I think anyone who's intelligent about this issue would make an appeal to that. I'm not saying that's correct, but I think that that's the only good reason someone should have to have that opinion. Like, I think it's a terrible opinion if someone thinks women can't be pastors, but they're not coming from a textual argument. Like, if they're mm -hmm. just like, well, I just think women are dumb, so they shouldn't be pastors. Like, right. that's a terrible argument. Well, and, but if we're also going to use biblical interpretation and biblical knowledge, we really need to look at who the people are. Uh, so here's a great example. The disciples were not educated. So if it's an education reason, 
then I would say baloney uh, because Jesus's disciples were not educated. They were like, wouldn't they have been more educated than the women their age, though? Well, like Mary Magdalene was actually very educated and she was actually very wealthy as well. A lot of women actually financially Mm. supported Jesus's ministry. Well, okay, that's true. And if it's a question of women's duties, well, our, you know, our role is to be providers of the house, to care for the children in the house. I would say definitely culturally first century. Yeah, it would have been very difficult for a woman to like travel with Jesus because you have to like raise kids if you have kids. Mm. And, you know, I like I, I get that. But I'm speaking now like here's 21st century Emily I am more than capable of having a full-time job as a pastor, and I am currently pregnant. So if I'm able to have a baby, raise a family, and still be a full-time pastor, like, I'm still able to fulfill my call, and I'm still able to fulfill my call as a mother. And I think that's something that Mm. gets frowned upon, especially is... Well, you're, you know, if if you're going to have a family, like, you won't be able to fully meet the needs of the church. You don't know me <laughs> like mm. you really then are questioning your pastor's role and if they're actually called and to question someone's call in general is one thing. You should never question someone's call for anything. Mm. But if you're questioning their call because of their sex, because of man or woman, then you really need to reevaluate what is it that's bothering you? Is it because I'm able to breastfeed and or take care of my child's needs and write a really good sermon. Because if that bothers you, then maybe you need to reevaluate what's really bothering you. So, Emily, forgive forgive my naivety here, but do you... I forgive you. Does it really feel like the main disqualification that's levied against you is literally just biology? I think part of it, yeah. That sucks. Have you ever... That hurt. That sucks. Have you ever gotten critique otherwise? Yes. Like... You shouldn't be a pastor because something else. That we're emotional, like I'm no, no, emotional. No, 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 that's not related to womanhood. Oh, that's not, no. Just like based on your own merits of personality, education, like, and skill. No, because that's the thing is, if I say, oh, I have an MDiv, like, wow, you have an MDiv, like, that must have been really hard. I'm like, well, yeah, school in general is hard. Mm. But they always have this this hidden notion that it's it's harder because I'm a woman. And honestly, well, it is, isn't it? Well, it was like in some ways, like we were just talking about like glass ceiling kind of stuff. Like there's certain barriers that you have that I don't have. I had more women in my program who graduated with MDivs than men. And we actually got better grades than some of my classmates. And we, yes, in a sense, we worked harder, but not because it was forced on us. It was because we saw the opportunity to do it. Like Mm. I can just in seminary, I never felt like. My male classmates got a free ride and I had to work harder. I chose mm. I actually chose to like do the harder classes and to do harder internships and things of that nature. And it helped me in the long run. And I still was able to graduate and I still have the same title MDiv as my male peers. But it wasn't something that was institutionalized to go against me. Um, but mm. there are settings where that is the case, where I am set to fail because I am not a man. Mm. Do you guys think matriarchy would be better than patriarchy? <laughs> Sorry, that felt like really left field, but like I just, it, <laughs> you just got me wondering. Like, 
if this is really the thing that it comes down to, like, what would our world look like the opposite way? And would we have equal problems or would something actually be different? Yeah. Like, what if we were in a matriarchal society from the beginning and the text said men can't be pastors? Yeah. I think we have to look at those countries and areas where women are in leadership. So, like, female presidents and, you know, cultures that do honor mothers and it's more matriarchal than patriarchal mm-hmm. i think i think there are going to be pros and cons with either way like i'm not going to sit here and be like oh women do everything better because that is entirely not true but i'm sure like quality wise i bet i can guarantee you there probably would be differences like do you know a war that was not i'm not thinking of troy and like this you know two men fighting over a woman deal i'm talking about wars that were actually started by women no but that's also because history is just it is patriarchal so like they would have never had the opportunity but if the world from the beginning because like i hear what josh said like what if the text actually flipped and quite honestly like i read paul and he's like man became or like man was before woman man came out of woman therefore like because the story says a rib was lifted and then like transformed into a female body but like to be honest i i don't think that that's how the history of the biological earth actually happened. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, if we got to read a text that said women are the authority over men because men are born of woman, which is the way things seem to be evolutionarily from the beginning. Like, I hear what you're saying, Emily, like, Hey, a woman, uh, like wars were never started by a woman, but at the same time, it's like, I, I'm not sure they were ever given opportunity to, unless you start talking about like people like Cleopatra, maybe, but I'm not, well read on that history to know that yeah that was a genuine question like i really don't know women in history who had roles of leadership yeah i don't know it just it just has me thinking because like if it's really just a biology question like it feels so easy to just throw out the problem and be like hell yeah emily should be a pastor hell yeah she should have authority because she's good at it yeah i think my problem with this debate too is that when the text was being written, I mean, mostly it's mostly in the New Testament, even though I know some people make like Old Testament mm-hmm. appeals like to priesthood or like the Adam and Eve thing, like when Paul's mentioning that, like at the time that the New Testament was written, the concept that we now think of as pastors did not exist back then. Right. And I think that that is a bigger thing to wrestle with, that the the concept that we have now, modern day, 21st century, how do we transpose ourselves onto the text and how does the text inform what we do to be fair again i do think that people who have the view that women can't be pastors today are trying to honor the text i just happen to think they're incorrect but i do think that that's a legitimate question like how do you honor the text when it's like millennia old and what we have now does not completely mirror what was there then like they are writing to like patriarchal Societies, except I have heard some context around the First Timothy passage. Uh, I believe ugh, I could be wrong about this. Somebody fact-checked me on this. Um, that the community that Timothy was writing to, uh, there was a like a goddess temple there, and it was normal in that community for women to be teaching. And so, for women to be teaching yeah. there would have been seen as like the same as the pagan religions. Mm, mm-hmm. And yeah. so, part of it was to like be a set-apart thing, like not quite as like an appeal to equality like men can teach too it wasn't like quite like that but it was like right sort of more along those lines well josh you bring up a good point because 
even this debate isn't the only one that struggles with this. We we have, you know, mm. the debate around, you know, homosexuality, you know, where millennia later and Oh, totally. I think it's just, you know, with the times, you know, things things change and yet we are so grounded on using this verse or this passage or these verses to hold on to an ancient idea that maybe at the time was life-giving, but nowadays is not. And how do we deal with that? Yeah, like, do you think that we've only come to the conclusion about women being able to be pastors because of modernity? Like, it's only been within the last, what, 100, 200 years that denominations and seminaries have formally allowed women clergy? You know what I mean? Like, is it only because of modernity? Maybe. I Like, I know Garrett was started from a, you know, by a woman. That in itself was like, whoa, that was crazy. Hmm. Yeah, I would say that's I would say that's a big component to it. Yeah. You know, what's so fascinating to me is that in various Christian traditions, there is such a veneration of women figures like Amy Semple McPherson <laughs> that started Foursquare, uh, Joan of Arc, like other saints. Mm-hmm. Trying to think of someone Catholic. Oh, Mother, Mother Teresa, Teresa. Catholic. Okay, so like literally every Christian stream like venerates older Christian women, like whether it's all the way to sainthood or just like this was a, a huge figure. And like in my mind, that's a pastor then. Like yeah. someone who shepherded, shepherd? Shepherded other Christians mm-hmm. like towards something that like helped Christ gain a foothold in the community like whatever whatever language you want to put around it like i don't see how someone like joan of arc or mother Teresa or amy semple mcpherson was not a pastor even if they didn't have that reverend title Mm. yeah beth moore is my pastor so i don't know what we're talking about amen amen joyce meyer like that's also oh yeah the the modern examples yeah that's a good example joyce meyer beth moore like why i know they're controversial for this very reason but they also have like massive followings and they make a living Mm -hmm. being able to speak but it's always like they've figured out a way to be like we we put on women conferences but men can come but because we're specifically a woman conference like we're not disobeying the bible in that joyce meyer is speaking to a crowd and maybe it's 20 percent men or whatever it's like because it seems like it feels like those very same people might be there and be like she is not allowed to be a pastor, but she is teaching my husband because he came to this event with me. But that's fine because they've marketed mm. ooh, so successfully. Mm, mm. Josh, your hands thought, raised. Go ahead. Yes. I, I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning, Emily, because I've heard some people make this distinction that like because teaching and preaching or like because teaching is not the same as being a pastor, women can teach. And they like kind of throw out the first Timothy verse. Yeah. But they still conclude women still can't be pastors. But they try to delineate between pastoring and teaching. Yeah. What thoughts? Wow. I've almost have you encountered I've this? heard the almost opposite where it's like they delineate between the the teaching and the pastoring and they say you can do the pastor. I mean, like, yeah, you can have women Whoa, be associate pastors or worship pastors. What? But it, you, until like if you're writing the sermon for the guy. Right. Or if you're the one mm-hmm. actually delivering the sermon from the pulpit. Now you've crossed the line. Yeah. I've heard the opposite, mm. Josh. So. And I've That's heard very intriguing. I've heard both. And again, so with Stephen, those titles, because they have other words paired with them, so worship pastor or youth pastor, 
they're very specific roles. So you know that they're not going to delineate from that. Mm-hmm. And again, those roles, you know, a pastor is a combination of care and teaching and administrator. So like I think of my pastoral role as in a Methodist church when I and I say when because I will for all of you who are like doubting me mm. uh, come 2022 <laughs> I will be a fully ordained elder in the United Methodist Church mm, amen to that uh Praise be. I am I am taking up three orders three titles as an elder where I will focus on word I will focus on order and I will focus on function. And so I am an administrator where I literally oversee Mm. meetings Mm. of the church and will oversee administrative roles of the church building. And then I have a role for order where I maintain order in the church. So that's liturgical things, preaching, um, Bible studies, things of that nature. And then for word, it goes beyond preaching. It also goes into providing pastoral care and seeking out, you know, helping my parishioners that are homebound and making sure that I'm visiting them. And it encompasses a lot of things. And so you can be a pastor and not preach at the pulpit. Like, yeah, that is a thing. But where I am at specifically, when I think pastor, I think of those three roles together. Like that is what I was called to do. That is. Can you say those again? I'm not familiar with that phrasing. Order, function and word. So like, Hmm. so the, like the order, like the liturgical order, the function is like the administrative and then the word goes beyond just the pulpit, like pastoral care. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just focusing on one area. I'm focusing on all three. And that is what I was, that is what I feel called to do. And that is why I specifically chose to go through ordination in the Methodist church is because I knew that I could do that. And the fact that they even allowed women to be elders and not just deacons then. That's even a greater thing for me. Because in your church, elder is like pastor. Yeah. So you can be considered a pastor and be a deacon, but deacons don't typically hold a position in the church. Deacons typically focus on like justice oriented work or nonprofit work. So Mm. a lot of times you'll see deacons that are chaplains. They're doing Christian ministry like on campuses. They're doing mission work. And elders are the ones that you typically see, like, at just the church building, like, at the pulpit. But you can be a deacon and still be at the pulpit, but you may be serving that part-time because maybe you're also holding another role working for Church and Society of Women's role for the Methodist Church or whatever the case may be. Hmm. But typically elders is, like, full-time. To me, this is just such a great example that, like, every church makes up its own usages for these words. They do, yeah. Like, I've been in churches before where, like, the elders are like the decision board. Like mm-hmm. they just make the decisions and the deacons take care of the church building. And that, that's all they do. Right. But I've been to like other churches where like the deacons are the deciders and they can be men and women. But right. the because the other church called them elders, they can only be men. Or uh-huh. I've seen pastors that like do not do administrative stuff. Like that's what the secretary does. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you get into and, a structure of mm-hmm. like. Uh, like a mega church thing where the campus pastors are doing a lot of the administrative, like they're doing the order and function. And then there's specifically like the celebrity preaching pastor. Right. And like, that's his entire job Mm -hmm. is to write the best sermon he can every week to be broadcast. Yep. 
If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you'd like to leave us a longer message, our email address is theravelpod at gmail.com. If you find this conversation valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. Thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color, off his album, Here. Find his work on Spotify and Bandcamp. And remember to subscribe to Ravel so that you never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening. You know what also gets weird is like the lines, the artificial lines that are drawn in age. So like she wouldn't mind that I'm telling the story because it actually just came out on No Normal People by the time this Ravel is out. But Mm -hmm. our friend Courtney Clark um, that we met on Instagram through this podcast and that has joined us on the Discord here, like part of her story involved basically being told like she could not hold her assistant to the youth pastor job anymore because they found out she was writing his sermons for him (gasps) and he he goes and takes another job and she says like hey i think i could do his job i've been doing a lot of it up until now and one of the things they specifically said to her was well you can't teach the youth group directly because then we're running a risk that there's an 18 year old boy in the youth group what and like they specifically call out 18 year old like he has crossed the threshold into manhood and now you are a woman teaching a man whereas like a woman teaching a 17 year old boy because he's still like a child or whatever is seriously oh wow is okay yeah like it gets weird and i'm sure courtney will have plenty of other stories to tell us in discord (laughs) this week because like yeah, she was telling me that story. If people want to listen to it, yeah, it's Courtney Clark on No Normal People. Man, like the mental gymnastics we end up trying to play when we're we're trying to draw a line. We're like, women can't do this, women can't do this. It feels exhausting to me, and I don't understand why we like take a wholesale, uh, like a ref- like me. a refresh <laughs> look, and we're like, wait, why exactly though? Because to me, honestly, it it feels like it cheapens the gift that women are to the body of Christ if they're not allowed to share through sermons their experience of the way God interacts and Mm -hmm. builds Mm -hmm. them in their faith, in their own life. Well, and I remember talking to you before the episode and I was telling you how much you want to bet everyone loved his sermons, but then as soon as they found out it was really her doing the writing, (laughs) they were like, oh, well, these are, they're so-so or they're not good, but because it was coming from his mouth and he was saying it, oh, well, then it was just, you know, amazing. Yeah. And that right there just speaks volumes to it really is a misogynistic thing. (laughs) It really is. And really to bring it back to like even the demographic thing, like if we're missing out on the wisdom and the knowledge that 50% of our global church has to offer just because of their biology, like we're not going to allow them to speak. (laughs) We've covered the textual arguments already and I'm, I remain unconvinced. So now I'm in the place where it's like, why, why are we discounting what half of the voice of God might be trying to offer us? It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest frustration is not in the women can be pastors debate. It's in the like larger pastor frustration for me. Like I feel more frustrated at the other problems surrounding pastorship 
like you could talk about celebrity pastors or you could just talk about how like we've completely invented a role that honestly was not very evident in the Bible and that sure like mm-hmm. I I think you can make a very strong case that like we never should have created that anyway but like now we haven't like we need to know what to do with it and I think we've gotten ourselves into this mess to be honest like I have very mixed feelings about whether or not there should be pastors and that's oh, coming from general <laughs> uh, a PK and PK. from someone who obviously has friends as pastors right. like I don't mean to like disqualify your like call to employment and vocation, Emily. But no, no, like, I, I have, understand. I have really complicated feelings about this. Like, obviously, if we're gonna have pastors, women can be pastors. Like, and I do think you can make a very strong textual case for that. But like, right. I have really complicated feelings about pastors in general. Mm. Yeah, I have. Mm. I have complications with both <laughs> topics. <laughs> Fair, yeah. Which that's even fair. hyperlinks us to our two-parter on money, too. It's like, if it is a full-time job, building a whole pay structure out of it, too, is also... Yeah. It gets really complicated. So, like, I don't mm-hmm. know if I ever told you guys this, but in the more recent past, like, pretty much right before COVID started and right before I've done a lot of work on, like, institutional church and why I came out more as more or less as, like, post-Christian or whatever, uh-huh. I applied to be campus pastor of mm. our local mega church campus. Now the extra juicy part is, is that Dixie independently submitted an application to also be the campus pastor. And we, we had a conversation with the, the hiring committee pretty early on. And they were basically like, if we entertain a heading, it's going to be Steven. (gasps) Oh, interesting. Wow. And they gave us things like, well, we just don't think our church as an organization is ready to really like go to bat for the women in pastorship roles. Whoa, they said that. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Some of them even on the committee were like, we're not sure even us taking the application is a legitimate thing. Some of them were like, she would actually, she would absolutely be very good at it and we should, we should listen. Do you feel like that's dishonest? Uh, Oh. Like the fact that they wouldn't take a stance or like they didn't know what to do oh, with it. Sure. I mean, why do you think we don't go to that church anymore? <laughs> oh, I mean, fair. Yeah. But I feel strongly that a church should be very clear about where they stand on this. Mm. Like, yeah, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, Emily, about that this can be taken as very misogynistic to people. And I think that that's very that needs to be handled very delicately. But if. Uh, you're gonna hate me for saying this. Oh, no, say no. it. Yeah, no. If say a church, it. if a church is going to be of the opinion that women, that they, that only men will be pastors there, whether it's a denomination or an independent church, sure. I think they need to be very upfront about that. Yes. And oh, absolutely. I don't think they should be veiled about that. In the same way that if a church is going to say we're okay with women being pastors and like training up women to be clergy, whether or not the church has them. I think mm. they should also be clear about that. I, I think there's too many churches out there that are wishy-washy, too wishy-washy about it. Like I would consider your former church, Stephen, wishy-washy about mm. that. Like they're refusing to pick a side. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay to be in question. Like I have some complications with like the way I think a church should allow for disagreement and pushback. Yeah. But to still have a stance. Yeah. I, th- I think that if a church is going to have a stance on it, they should not be veiled about it because I think that that would be dishonest. I want to push further. I want to add to that. I want you to A, be upfront about it, but I also don't want you to have double standards. So here's a great example. Men as pastors, okay, they have their duties. Don't expect your wife or your partner to then 
teach Sunday school, join the choir, partake in all the potlucks, and help out in the nursery. And then for a woman pastor to then have no expectations of her husband or spouse. Because I know that's something Mm. that my church right now is kind of experiencing only because we as a church, we don't have like a men's group. We used to have like a United Methodist men's group that would meet, Mm. but they don't really do that anymore. But like they don't expect anything of Alex. Like if he comes to church, they're like, oh, great. Alex is here. Like it's so nice to have a young couple in church. But I Mm. guarantee you if Alex was the pastor. They would be asking him, why isn't your wife here today? I thought she'd be helping out in Sunday school. Oh, is Emily is Emily going to join the choir? I bet she has a great singing voice. Oh, is Emily wanting to help with the UMW bake sale? I hope she can bring a lot of goodies to bake. Because if men or people, women or men, if people have issues with women having a full-time job, let's say being a pastor Mm. and being a mother and having other outside duties, then do not expect her to then have the roles reversed and have all these other duties to fulfill and still be a great pastor's wife. I think that, yeah, I can feel that double standard. Even in my context, before we left that church, Dixie was on staff as the worship coordinator and the other three staff members were men. And like she would go to staff meetings and then the staff wives would like plan their own thing and like I never got invited I would be Mm. but (laughs) but like I always told people that I was a terrible staff wife because I never went to anything that they made but like that's funny to be honest like but it was like I was being Billy Graham ruled out of hanging out with the staff (laughs) wives right (laughs) oh my god to be honest okay Emily I can hear someone pushing back against what you just said like I, I hear what you're saying about the double standard thing and i think that's real i also think that's real in any unemployment or in any employment situation oh, absolutely. but i feel like but this is the this is the complication for me where like employment meets religious community is that like there's like i can hear someone making the critique about what you just said that like well they're just like trying to include the other person who's not employed mm-hmm. they're trying to like include them in community into the things that they think they would be interested in and maybe some of that is like just inherently misogynistic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they're not doing it on purpose, though. You know what I mean? No. Like, I think we're not we're often not aware of the like stereotypes that we're imposing on other mm. people. So right. I can hear someone making that critique. You know what I mean? But also it's extremely higher in churches than in other institutions. Totally. Which is my biggest problem with the employment thing being tied to religious community. You know, Whoa. like yeah. if even like, let's say let's say I wasn't a pastor. And let's just say both Alex and I were just attending a church, right? We were both working. If Alex skipped a Sunday because he wanted to stay home and relax and watch the football game or whatever, they wouldn't bat an eye. But if I wanted to stay home and relax because I had a long week at work, guarantee you they Mm. would look down on me because, well, I'm a woman. I need to make sure that my kids attend Sunday school and that I'm still helping with the bake sale afterwards Mm. and that we help with the Christmas program. They don't have those Mm. expectations of men. And I would say as dual income households, that's especially true for single health, like single income households. I would say that varies definitely because if the church knows that, let's say the mom is the only one working and dad is unemployed, then they would know that like, yeah, dad's going to be the one bringing the kids to Sunday school. Like that would kind of make sense. Mm. But think about like single parents. Think about single parents 
just a single dad versus just a single mom. Those standards still apply. I'm a single mom. I don't have a spouse. I don't have a partner. I'm still going to have an expectation to bring my kids to Sunday school, even though I've had to work 60 hour weeks. Yeah, I, I appreciate your perspective on the the double standard in gender in church anyway, regardless of being a pastor. I think that that's a very astute point, which obviously women can speak to more than mm-hmm. men. Yeah. What you reminded me of, too, is that I feel like there's such a huge double standard with pastoral arguments with the text anyway, like mm-hmm. regardless of men or women. Like I, Stephen, did you ever hear or either of you actually, did either of you hear the the logic that a man should be married? Oh, to be a pastor. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Like, but Catholics take the opposite view. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it's just so annoying to me when people pretend like they have a monopoly on theology when like you can look at like the history of Christianity or even just current Christianity. And it's so obvious that there is not vast agreement on this. Like exactly. we can sit, we can sit here all day agreeing because we totally agree that women can be pastors from a textual argument. But like not everybody's on that same page. Mm-hmm. I don't think it'll ever, ever be settled. I think we're always going to have. I think so. Yeah. I think some of that argument, Josh, comes from just one chapter over. First Timothy three is all about like the qualifications of deacons and elders. And Paul specifically <sighs> spells out like. Yep. That is where it comes from. His wife should be of good tepper- temperament and leading their house well while he brings home the bacon. And like, mm-hmm. obviously, that was a reduction <laughs> of what Paul says. But. Right. Like the fact that like his wife should be also like a Proverbs 31 crowning glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that just like gets baked in to what we're handed through the text. Well, my frustration with that is that I don't think that the text is handing us that conclusion to walk away with. No. Like to me, it sounds like Paul is saying like, well, if your spouse is a leader, like be supportive. Well, but also but, like some people walk away with that and say, well, like, well, they should obviously be married. Paul was never married. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But people still pull away the specifics of your wife shall. Yeah. That's what they Mm -hmm. see. It's because we see he, him, his, her, hers. Mm -hmm. They see those identifiers, those those specifics, and that's all they need. It says right there, Mm. he, him, her, hers. I can't. You leave it at that. I can't get out of my head too. like our past episode on originalism and how even these texts are interpreted. Yes. Through that lens. You know, mm-hmm. yes, I'm so glad you brought it back to that, Stephen. What A did you think of? Well, I mean, like we we talked about even in that episode, we I felt like we drew a pretty good trajectory from Genesis one to the end of Revelation saying like there's a trajectory of God's people becoming God's people and God's people arriving in like new heaven and new earth where her gates will never be shut and all this. And like because we have a direction to follow and not just a single point to like huddle around mm-hmm. like we're not standing on the on the island of the thing but we're actually on a boat and we're going somewhere. I just feel like like you can read Paul and gather as much context as you want of like okay the church in Ephesus has temples around them that worship worship goddesses and they sit separately in the church and all that but like I don't know I felt like we came down to a point where even though that was the original intent or the way that was like handed directly to that community or directly to Timothy as the young pastor being mentored by a guy who had been doing it a lot longer. I just don't know if we're allowed to read it as Timothy and be like, oh, I mean, that's obviously how we should do that. Because if context is king, like according to hermeneutics, 
then just because it meant that in the original text does not mean it means that for us. Totally. Right. Yep. Like just because it says go kill all the Amalekites doesn't mean we do a genealogy search of the world and go kill all of them. Mm. Right. Woof. Yeah. So even if like I can admit that maybe some of these passages are trying to conclude to the original audience that women should not be leaders in their context. But I don't think that necessitates that for us. Like kind of yeah. going back to my whole thing about they didn't have exactly the same pastors back then as we yeah. do now. Right. And like we've made up a completely different thing. I guess a concluding thought that I have before, like just to kind of start wrapping things up. My big takeaway is gender aside for the moment, you shouldn't question people's call and then on top of that, apply gender or sex to that. It's one thing when you just question like, oh, Jimmy wants to be a firefighter. And you're like, oh, does Jimmy really have the skills to be a firefighter? If Jimmy wants to be a firefighter, don't dash on his dreams. Okay? I'm sorry. I, I don't know if I can join you there, though, because like 12 year old Steven might have thought it would would have been awesome to be an NBA player. But like 26 <laughs> year old Steven, who's five foot nine, <laughs> is just like you could qu- <laughs> you can question my call. You came you came to that realization. You didn't have people constantly saying, no, you can never be this. You're not good enough because you're a man. You'll never be able to be a firefighter like don't question someone's call. Let them question it for themselves. Okay. You're just saying like help them explore okay. maybe mm. or. Oh, I mean like straight up. Like if I was called like I wanted to be an astronaut, but I never had people telling me, well, no, Emily, you can never be an astronaut. That's only for that's only for men or that's only for smart people. Don't ever think you can be smart. Don't ever think you can have these. A call is something that's placed on your heart. And that's something that's divine, in my opinion. A call okay. can be for anything. If you want to oh, be a teacher, if you want to be a pastor, if you want to be a doctor, if you learn, like, you know what? I'm really not good at math. And yeah, maybe a doctor isn't what I want to do. That's one thing. But when you are striving and doing your best to fulfill that, and you are constantly told that you're never going to fulfill that, regardless of how much work you're putting into it, no matter how much you're trying to learn no matter how much you are having support to do that, if you have people constantly telling you you because of A, B, and C, that's out of your control. My like, I'm a woman. I like, I, <laughs> I'm a woman. I believe I'm a woman. That's how it is for me. That shouldn't inhibit my call. You don't get to determine what I want to do. Uh, okay, I hear you. But I feel like a very tangential discussion to this is like accountability. Like, I think that no matter if someone feels called to be a pastor, they should absolutely like be questioned and held accountable because like questioning and accountability is different than. Uh, no, I and I hear you. But like, I guess my maybe this is like too much of a rabbit trail discussion, but like just because someone feels called to be a pastor, I don't think that means they that necessitates they should be like, I think you're right. They should call that into question for themselves. But at some point down the line. You're probably right. It's probably not best to happen in childhood. Like, no, you can't do that. But like at some point, other people do need to interrogate them and see whether or not it is a good fit. If it is a good fit. But right. But whether they're fit (laughs) is one thing. But I think a call to say like they are moved to do something is something else. I don't like I I don't I know. I know people. I know people who are called to be pastors and they and they don't have the skill set like they just they. They tangibly don't Mm. actually have the means 
to do that, but I'm not going to question that the fact that they want to do it. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, to be honest, Emily, I'm struggling to understand why calling is such a a sacred, untouchable thing. Like, so like growing up, my dad, I think he would legitimately legitimately say felt called to be a helicopter pilot in the army. Like watching his dad participate in the Vietnam War and like be a part of that system. Like my dad was all about like he was obsessed with helicopters and wanted to fly them from like as soon as he could have a conscious thought about wanting to fly them. But like there were so many factors that came in. Maybe I'm just not hearing you well enough because like it came down to his vision was so bad that they had to tell him like, you Mm. can't, you can't fly these even with glasses. Like you cannot fly this heavy machinery um, with like the limitations that are handed to you. But, Mm. and I agree that we have to be careful, right? right? Cause like, obviously we don't want to fall down the rabbit hole of saying like, well, if you're disabled in any way, like you obviously right. can't lead people. Like, I'm not trying to say that, but I guess like in the back of my head, I'm thinking of so many, like, was it this episode or last episode? You mentioned Son of Sam and like people who last have like episode, used yeah. the Bible. Okay. Yeah. It was the last episode or like we talked about it a little bit on our Colts episode. Uh, like there have been so many people who have used the Bible in unjust and abusive ways. And I think that some of those people in their heart felt like it was what they were meant to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that just because someone wants to do something necessitates that they get to do that something. And so like bringing it back a little bit to the, the women as pastors thing, I don't think women get to be pastors because they want to be pastors like mm. you. I think they get to be pastors because it's okay for them to be pastors. Sure. And then like on an individual basis, maybe there is like some sort of calling. Like you hear that a lot with the pastor saying, I do think that's a good point, Stephen, that like that's treated as like a sacred kind of thing unique to pastors almost. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Am I coming off the right way? I think so. I think. Okay. And maybe maybe I'm not getting across and it could be because it's a experience thing, but. Sure. I, I have wanted to be a pastor since I was mm. in the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And mm. even sixth grade Emily didn't fully understand what that meant. Mm-hmm. But even sixth grade Emily was told, well, you can't be a pastor because you're a woman. So sure. what you're asking for is let's approach someone else's calling with an attitude of like affirmation and encouragement and then like come alongside and let's let's explore together rather than just top down oh, saying yeah. no, no, no. Right. Yeah. I also think it's, I also think it's call the word call for me. That's something between me and God. And Mm. it's something that we are exploring together as well. So I don't need Joe Schmo to tell me what my call is when that was something that I have been doing with God. Mm. You know, Mm. that's something that I'm doing separate. Like I tell people I want to be a pastor, but the work that I am trying to discern everything that I am trying to do for myself. Like that's work between me and God. And I don't need outside voices telling me or hinging, like infringing on that in any way. Like when you're, when you're trying to tell me what is sacred or not between me and God, like no, now, I'm me and God are having this conversation. Yeah, I, I, I mm. hear you. And first of like, Yes, you are doing exactly what you should be doing. And in fact, like you personally have in a pastoral role kind of like helped you. Sh- you literally you shepherded me through Advent 
last year that was like mm, such a hell. Mm-hmm. And you're teaching me about Lent as we speak. I think what I what I still feel about the the whole calling language is like I I don't like how we can just start saying like this is between me and God, and all of a sudden it becomes this untouchable thing that I don't know. I really don't want to come off the wrong way, but it's like if you're able, if anyone is at any point able to make an appeal to like, well, like this is between me and God. That's great. And I think I like, I want to encourage that. And I've felt that personally, like when it comes to podcasting. Right. Mm -hmm. But I still want, I still think that there's a role for people in your life who are willing to like affirm and encourage first and then help explore to be like, Oh, absolutely. Because as soon as you say, if as soon as you make it this sacred, like untouchable, like this is between me and God, like I don't need your input. It feels like Josh pointed out, like that can be weaponized for anything. So I'm almost Mm -hmm. unwilling to say that that is an option even for the good guys, quote unquote. That's okay. So let me rephrase it then. Let me, let me try to see if I can get it across this way. My faith journey, the part of my faith journey that is between me and God should not be questioned or put on the spot or dissected by other people because of things that I I do not have the means to change. So I am a woman. I believe I am a woman. I fullheartedly live into this identity as a woman. My faith journey, specifically my part of my faith journey with God, as a woman, as a woman, as a clergy, should not be torn apart by people who are not willing to see my experience or by Mm. people who are not wanting to acknowledge that I can be a woman and a pastor. Yeah. Because Mm. I I cannot tell you how often people, I would tell them I want to be a pastor and they say, oh, really? Why? Well, you don't get paid well. And as a woman, you don't get paid well. And think about maternity. And they throw all these things at me as if I'm stupid. Mm. I Mm. get it. Mm. Okay. I know I'm a woman. I know if I get pregnant, I'm going to have maternity leave. I know I'm going to have a lot of baggage to carry because I'm going to be having a family. There's all these things that people feel the need to teach you when they don't have any experience to actually teach you from. Mm. When a man. Oh, I like that line, actually. I think that's really. When a man in seminary who's in his 50s is trying to tell me how to live out my call as a pastor, sit down and shut up. (laughs) Because you don't know my call as sixth grade Emily, who is dealing with her self-image, who is dealing Mm. with understanding her role in the world and her purpose. So now for 50-year-old Joe Schmo to say, well, you just belong in the kitchen, say a prayer, go teach Sunday school. I encourage you, sir, to really look at yourself in the mirror because you came from a really strong woman who probably had to put up with a lot of shit. And you are now putting that on me. And you're trying to tell me how I'm supposed to fit in the world. Well, no, that's my call. Mm. (laughs) That's what call Mm. is, is trying to learn what your role in the world is and to discern that. And when other people are trying to discern it for you, that's not fair. Like, I don't discern for you, Josh, what your role in the world is. You know, it's funny you mentioned that as a PK, I was totally 
like pressured, I felt to like become a pastor someday. Like old people would like, I feel like ask me all the time, like, well, when are you going to follow in your dad's footsteps? Like you're going to become a pastor too, right? Which is like, like, I don't know if that ever happens in any other vocation, except maybe military. There might be some of that in military families. But I just remember being so annoyed at that because I kind of felt the same way. Like, no, you don't get to choose like exactly what I want to do. Like, I don't want to do that. I'm never going to be a pastor. And I was like pretty uh, uh, <laughs> like anti-pastor in my head for a while about like, no, I'm never going to do that <laughs> just because you're like pressuring me to do it. I don't want to do it now. But I think just by me saying that, that says a lot about the difference between our experiences. Like, I would venture to say you did not feel pressured as a child to become a pastor. Nope. But I did. And that is a very distinct, different experience of American Christianity. Yeah. Mm. I think this also highlights where we came out of our episode on the quadrilateral and how we, I think we, we as a group probably prefer to bias experience first or like look through that lens first and allow, allow that to be like a sacred way for, God to teach us about our lives, right? Like in mm-hmm. addition to tradition, scripture. So like in this case, Emily's experience of being called to be a pastor was is directly going against a lot of tradition and a lot of arguments that people can make from the scripture, but then we can use reason and go either side, right? So like but the sure. three of us choosing experience, I think I can speak for you guys. I think experience weights is weighted pretty mm-hmm. high for us. I think that highlights like how we approach the world, like using the quadrilateral as a tool to understand, like, let's make sure we're like viewing the same scenario through the same order of lenses before we start having a conversation. Or first, let's have a conversation about why scripture might carry more weight than Emily's personal feeling of a call to being a pastor. I think that's good. The other thing I want to say, Emily, is like, I'm, I'm really sorry if me poking that particular spot like brought up any memories of you and I in high school where I Mm. used to think that your call was illegitimate and I also like I want to apologize if you felt like I was echoing your Joe Schmo 50 year old uh MDiv classmate you know know, like (laughs) I just it's it's people like you though that you're like you people like that, <laughs> you know, people like that who would question or say, no, they were the mm-hmm. reasons I kept going. Emily, I'm I'm curious. We haven't really talked about the best argument for the egalitarian side. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about that a little bit, but like Stephen did bring up a good point about like experience holding more ground a little bit sure. for some of us. So if you had to put it into a scriptural context what do you think is the best argument for women pastors oh um okay i because i have one off the top of my head okay so you go first because i have one i just have to find the specific reference i think it's the fact that the uh, resurrection was given to women first and they announced it to the disciples like women Uh. preached the gospel first like if the gospel is resurrection crucifixion jesus's life the women preached that first and so if that's exactly is tied to pastorship at all you can't like you just can't look past that. Like you have to reconcile that with Paul saying, I don't permit a woman to speak. Sure, you can like talk about like he's talking about church context and like the women preaching the gospel to the disciples wasn't really in church. But like I think that that's the best 
scriptural evidence in the New Testament for women pastors in addition to the women pastors in the New Testament. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, I was just thinking of all the women in in the New Testament, you know, Dorcas, you know, or Tabitha. Junius. Junius Lydia. The reader of Romans. Yes. You know, I don't remember her name. I'm so sorry. Um. Oh, shoot. I don't remember her name either. Um. But you have like, you know, even just women, even in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, you have Miriam, you have Deborah, you know, you have so many Ruth. There are so many women mm-hmm. in the Bible who showed incredible determination and strength and leadership at times where men couldn't. And again, mm-hmm. that's that quality thing where we we are equal. We just have different ways of showing our strengths and or weaknesses. And well, and to be honest, that's where I think complementarians are right. I do think is, God created humanity to balance each other out. Yes. I just don't think that we have like these very generalized, but also like highly specific quote unquote roles. But I do think that they're onto something that like God created, like if God created male and female in God's image, then somehow male and female both make up different characteristics of God. And I do think they're onto something with that. I agree with that. It's when they use it as a hierarchical tool, though, that's where it, that's where the, the scales tip for sure. But I would agree that they are onto something where we show elements or qualities of God that men do not. And men show qualities and elements of God that we do not. And it's we yep. need we need to see the pieces coming together rather than seeing one piece being bigger than the other, because then they're not going to fit. And it's not going to have a complete image as to who we are and to who God is. And I think that for me is where women as pastors like. If that's such a troubling thing, then let's talk about it. And if it's not, then great. <laughs> but <laughs> I, but I think being able to see this like this coming together element is what I am striving for is to say, yeah, women can be pastors. And here's the qualities that we have that bring a new light to sharing the good news. And that's what I want people to acknowledge is People are now getting another perspective or a better, you know, understanding because there are so many different types of people preaching and it's not all just coming from one voice. It's coming from, you know, my voice and it's coming from the elderly and it's coming from young children. Mm. And we're now just getting a better picture of who God is and that shouldn't be gendered. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that you brought up some of those Old Testament characters, man. I just keep thinking about you saying earlier, like, we probably will be debating about this for forever. Oh, yeah. I I think we will. And I I don't know. I can, in the back of my head, I can hear people sharing this with possibly people who fall more on the complementarian end of, like, women shouldn't be pastors. And I can hear people like that listening to this episode and just feeling like we're bashing on people and... uh, like people getting really defensive in their ideas. Cause I've been in that position too. Like I've, I've had really heartfelt what I would call convictions about like what is right and what is wrong, especially pertaining to Christianity and feeling really attacked when people like present a different opinion. But I feel like your point earlier about um, like, we're probably going to be debating this for a long time. To me, that speaks to, we're probably going to have Christian disagreement about this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we just have to figure out how to dialogue about it better. Yeah. Like we need to be able to have better conversations. So as a woman pastor, who like, and you're very much a woman pastor, like you <laughs> just can't deny that. What would you say to someone who disagrees in this discussion? 
I would say, let's sit down and have a coffee and let's let's talk about it. You know, I want to be able to give people the chance to share their side and to speak and to hear and to know that just because I am a woman pastor doesn't mean that I'm not willing to hear your perspective. Like, yes, I am more than willing to hear. But as a voice who has been marginalized in this area, I think you really need to have an opportunity to listen and to hear. And I would say to get to know the person as well, because, yeah, maybe there are some women who shouldn't be pastors, just like there are some men who shouldn't be pastors or men or women who shouldn't be doctors or whatever the case may be. It really is a personnel thing. And so I would say to get to know the person and to keep wrestling with it. You know, why? what is it that bothers you specifically? Like really come to terms and try to understand why and not to just point fingers or to have cop out answers, but to really try to understand the reasoning. Is this something you were brought up with? Is this something that has been pass- been passed down? Is this a new revelation Mm. for you? Like really trying to understand what it is that bothers you and why. So then, like you said, like now you'll have an understanding for your stance on things. Like we need to have an understanding where we stand. Yeah. And for me, that definitely goes back to I think churches should be clear about where they stand. And that's where I 100% agree with you. If you do not want women as pastors, just be upfront about it. I would rather you just tell it straight and you know, we'll go from there. Because if you are very, you know, wishy-washy or you're kind of sitting on the fence and you're not really willing to make a stance either way, that just makes the situation so much harder to, to to discuss. And that's not fair to anyone involved. Right. Stephen, what about you? When did your uh, perspective or your idea change from when you used to have a view about women as pastors and you, you know, would question my call, you know, high school, Emily, what changed for you? To be honest, it came out of a place where I, that I wasn't expecting. Um, it was actually at my last church, like mega church thing, like right toward the beginning of Dixie and I going, the big preaching pastor had his wife give like a three week series of sermons herself like she was alone on stage she wasn't like co-preaching or teaching Mm -hmm. and she taught and the whole time i was sitting there like what can we can they do this and i had a lot of really long talks with the campus pastor who who were able to say like no like this is this is why we allow her to teach this is why we allow her to preach and we went through all these verses the, the the first corinthians the first timothy like he walked us through all of that stuff and showed how it was being interpreted very much like originalism over like our modern day. Like how do we, how do we interpret these in the light of what we know now, basically? Wait, is this the same church that was wishy-washy about you and your wife putting in an application for campus pastor? Yes. That's the weird, that's the part that that was like, it came out of the most unexpected place because first we were told like, no, Jenny Lesko can preach and this is why and this is why we allow her to and every time she does Fresh Life I'm just going to start using their name uh every time she does <laughs> Fresh Life sees numbers drop 
like the week after and like some people actually will just like totally leave because they didn't realize that this church sure. is one that lets people wow. lets women preach or teach up from that main stage that's being broadcast to all the campuses but it did it does get weird when it was like hey dixie henning wants to be the campus pastor and if we're honest she had been staff a lo- on staff a lot longer than i had was way more involved in the day-to-day of our billings campus and uh, to be honest she would just be a much better pastor than i would be and yet we went to that meeting and they were basically like um We'll continue interviewing Steven, but I don't mm. think we're even going to entertain Dixie. And it being the same church is very confusing to me, but that's where my conversion started, basically, was to like be like, oh, yeah, why, why is it this way? And a campus pastor just sat me down and walked me through the verses. And How was able many to, years ago was that? Um, four, five. Okay. It was a while ago. Interesting. It was one of those where like I fought it for so long. And then when somebody made one really good, compelling argument from the text from that day on, like I've never struggled with the concept. I'm just like, oh yeah, this, yeah, that makes sense. You know, like I, I haven't been fighting and wrestling with it since it's just, it's just where I am now, you know? Interesting. Uh, we made a couple mentions of it, but if anyone hasn't listened to the episode already, we did like an entire episode on like originalism in the biblical text. Uh, it was called On the Origin of Spiritual Truth. So if that debate between like modernity and ancient text is interesting to you, you'd probably like that episode. Um, this was kind of a long episode, you guys, but I feel like we should probably wrap it up. I agree. Uh, we could probably keep talking for hours, but... Feels right to me. Um, any final thoughts? Emily, thank you for being a pastor, and I'm proud of you. <laughs> Oh, thanks. And I really, I believe that. I remember, I remember there were a few times you had like commented on Facebook or Instagram, like things that I would share from my internships or my time in seminary. And I just remember like, ah, oh, thanks, Stephen. Like y'all, like uh, support is a good thing. So thank you. It, mm-hmm. it means a lot. That's all I want to say. Like it's, it's a, it's a long episode of back and forth and like trying to wrestle with very hard conversations that turn personal very quickly. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I just, I just want you to know that like Josh and I definitely support you. We make a podcast yeah. with you for, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're allowed to preach on Ravel if you're not allowed Amen. to preach in church. There you go. Well, if uh, <laughs> anyone wants to support the show, we do have a Patreon. Uh, you can find a link in the show notes. Uh, otherwise we do appreciate you guys leaving reviews on iTunes. We've been getting a lot more of those lately. Um, so, and we read every single one of those. We don't always show them here on the show or on social media, but we do read all of them and they mean a lot. So to everyone who's been mm-hmm. listening, we really appreciate having you along for the ride. Yes, we do. Especially for these longer episodes. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Emily, how does this work? Uh, you, you're the, you're the pastor in the room or do you, uh, do you give us a prayer? Do, how does this work when you're a woman pastor? Um, I'll just close with a benediction if that's if that uh, floats your all. Yeah, perfect. Yes, please. Uh, Whether you're discerning your own call or if you feel the need to question other people's call, woman, man, young, old, the debate is continuous. And we know that we all have skills and qualities that separate us and complement one another. Just know that we're raveling out these difficult topics together. And what is most important is to support one another and to lift up rather than tear down.